0: Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Well, I'm here with Sally Rand Stevens of the Soul, would you call it, is it a program or a school or forest? Soul, 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 soul Forest. forest. School. Excellent. Welcome to the Forest Educator, Sally.
1: Thank you. Well, thanks so much, Ricardo, for having me here. This is a, a really great opportunity to share her passion with like-minded people. Yeah, so I'm the founder and director of Seoul Forest School, mm-hmm. which is based in the mountains east of Albuquerque. We do do some programming in the Bosque, which is the, the beautiful cottonwood forest, the, the lengthiest, the longest cottonwood forest uh, in the world, is my understanding, that runs along the Rio Grande River in Albuquerque, but we're primarily based on the other side of the Sandia Mountains, if people um, are familiar with that place. I always just like to take a moment, because I am sitting outside as I'm talking to you today, at one of our original sites in the Cibola National Forest, to just think about the peoples who have tended this land for time immemorial, and particularly where I'm sitting now, the Tiwa peoples.
0: Well, it's It's so interesting. New Mexico is a place that I've traveled through and spent time in, and I just, you know, land of enchantment. I was immediately Mm -hmm. enchanted with it. I still want Mm -hmm. to go back and visit as much as I can. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that you were running a forest school there, I thought it'd be really an interesting experience to share what that's like, because the forest is very different than the eastern woodlands that we have here in Mm New York or in the Northeast in
1: general. Yeah. And I grew up in New Jersey of all places, feral and free, a childhood that was completely steeped in the outdoors. So yeah, I grew up with all the trees and the hills and the Appalachian trail along the Eastern coast. I've lived in a lot of different countries and several different states. I definitely have that wanderer's spirit, shall we say, that curiosity, always have found a way to weave nature into those experiences and then landed here in New Mexico and my, my, my work prior to founding and starting Seoul Forest School was primarily in special education. I worked with, with people who are deaf and hard of hearing and my area of specialty really is early intervention, supporting parents and families. And along that path, that's what allowed me to do a lot of traveling. I got involved in a way of being with young children called Reggio Emilia. And that approach comes out of Italy. Practicing in a Reggio way or a Reggio inspired way, you're really challenged to truly follow the interests of children. So at this point, when I was very deeply involved in this Reggio practice, I was serving essentially as a, a director of an early education center for children who are deaf. And the more we followed the lead of the children, guess what happened? The more we found ourselves spending more time outside, really exploring the puddles and the ants on the ground or the cherries growing on the trees or whatever it was. So I often joke about how really it was the Reggio Emilia approach that took me out of the four walls and into the place of no walls. Basically the story there is when I was, and this is the origin story of Soul. I was working in that, that director leadership role really dipping more and more into the reggio and the following the lead of the children. And because it was an educational administrative role, I was required to get my educational admin license through the state. So it was, I, would, I think I was one or two courses shy of a second master's and I mostly did it online. I just kind of wanted to get it done. To be honest with you, I, I wasn't too enthused to necessarily jump in there, but had to do it. And I was involved in a curriculum class, and I was the only person in the class that came from an early childhood background. And in the Reggio Emilia philosophy, which is the same as really far schooling, we talk about emergent curriculum, following the interest of the child, and we also talk about the backwards curriculum. So this idea of, if you actually do follow the interest of children and you trust that process, guess what happens, folks? You could pull out your little standards later on and go check, 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 check. It actually right. happens, right? Right, right. So, yeah. So in this class, I thought, all right, if I have to write some kind of paper about curriculum, that's what I'm going to write about. The magic of the, you know, backwards curriculum and advocating for the interests of children, really and truly. Because we as a we as a culture, we we pay a lot of lip service to, you know, oh, young children are capable and young children are creative and they're kind and all of these things. But often in practice, our words don't, they don't line up with what, how we actually treat young children. So I thought, all right, this is an opportunity for some advocacy too. So I started researching online for this big assignment that I had to complete. And as I was researching this concept of backwards curriculum and young children, this page popped up and it said forest school. And it had this vision of young children just covered, picture, photo, these young children just like big smiles on their faces, mud on their hands, bright blue sky, trees behind them. And I just thought to myself, I don't know what in the heck that is, but it's 110% (laughs) for me. I just felt the visceral pull into the screen. So by that Monday, I had thoroughly researched where I might be able to go off and get some training and sort of like had a plan in place. And I ended up doing my training through Forest Schools Canada. That program really resonated. And I came back and convinced the New Mexico School for the Deaf that, you know, this was something we should get going and lots of processes. So for those of you just starting, we had meetings with school lawyers and superintendents and all of this kind of stuff. And finally, they did give us the green light. And in the the fall of 2016, we launched what was called, what is still called the Forest Day Learning, FDL, Forest Day Learning program at the New Mexico School of the Deaf up in Santa Fe. That was an amazing experience. I mean, first time for children to use first signs, to use first words, children who are were deaf and also neurodivergent first time for them to maybe engage a friend in play yeah like it just was it really it reminded me of the power of nature because in my 20s i had i had worked as an outdoor education instructor and had thought at that point in time i want to i want to be the person who like designs programming for people who are deaf and I soon realized that, number one, I wasn't going to be able to make a career out of that because this is a, a low incidence disability. So it's about one in 200 people that it significantly impacts. But secondly, as a hearing person in the deaf world, it really wasn't my place to lead in that way. Right, so right. I, I kind of stepped into like more traditional, more traditional special ed for a while. So then finally, fast forward all these years later, we've got the FDL program going, all of this success I had at that point in time also gone and received i don't know if you've heard of tinker garden
0: i have heard of that a little bit
1: so it's a really fabulous program it's it's different you know it's quite different than than far school although the founder and, and, and director of that program is far school trained in england as well but it's it's kind of like a mommy and me or music and me experience that takes place outside and it's, it's scripted it's very sweet though and very developmentally appropriate and solid and it brings in magic and it's a very sweet program. So I had trained through that. And part of what you do with Garden is you basically, you offer these trial classes and you say, come on out. And you do this little trial class. And then of course you try to sell your class and you try to get people to sign up for eight weeks or 10 weeks or whatever. So my trials would be filled with dozens of families, but I was never able to actually get a class going I'm just one of those people that really pays attention to the little messages that pop up along the way. And in the space of one week, two different Tinker Garden parents had said to me, Wait a second, aren't you far school trained? And I was like, Yes, I am. They said, Maybe you should do a far school program on Wednesdays when you're not working at your other job. So I was like, Huh, oh, there's an idea. <laughs> and in October of 2017, so we're coming upon our six year anniversary and soul was born through me and soul stands really for three different things here in New Mexico we quite obviously have multiple spanish speaking families yeah. and people and soul for those of you who don't know is sun in spanish the second the second meaning with with the name is it stands for soulful outdoor learning and to me that piece that soulful piece Whatever you want to make of that word, I could talk the whole podcast just about that. But to me, that's for me where the magic is and where the transformations are and where the progress is and where the community is. And yes, I am a huge proponent for soulful outdoor learning. And then thirdly, it really does feel like it's I have one child, a man child, and I guess I've I've always, you know, all of us are creative in a variety of ways. But this is the first time I ever did anything quite like this, where I really stood out and just said, okay, I'm just going to start this program. So it really felt as though it was like a birthing through my own my own soul. So we got it started in 2017, just one day a week. And it's hard to believe now that I used to chase people in the grocery store or in the library and be like, here, here's a card. And then in 2019, I just really had the nudge to step into it full time. And it was really scary because I had, I had a, a job with the state and I had the benefits and the retirement and all that stuff. But what can I tell you? Like something bigger was moving through me and I just, I, I just couldn't resist it. I just couldn't say no. And I'm so grateful timing wise that I did make that move when I did, because that was in the fall of 2019 and we all know what happened in the spring of
0: 2020.
1: Yeah. And I don't know honestly if I had waited I might have felt that duty with the pandemic to kind of stay where I had where I'd been working and what I've been doing so I'm just really grateful for what I see as just forest timing or divine timing coming through and being like now now's the time to take that leap and just go for it and yeah it was slowly by slowly we eked out a few more sessions we added a Saturday program and then up until about a year or so, we were just busting at the seams, like we're ever changing, we're ever evolving. So we are going through a big change right now with Soul. And I think now of several weeks two two months or so out of some pretty big waves, I think we're reinventing ourselves. And there has been a little bit of downsizing going on with the core program, but yeah, we're it's a perfect time to talk to you because it feels to me after this wobble that we've experienced that there's some balancing coming into play now at last sure. and some clarity. And I think by the winter solstice in particular, it's by the time we go into the new calendar year, there's going to be some clarity, some really good clarity around some next steps and what have you. So I'm excited at this point about it.
0: I, I, love, I love hearing the download of a lot of the, the journey because- it's so similar to many other people who have the mm-hmm. same experiences. And when you're in it, it is like all consuming many times. That's one of the things yes. that I talk about in this podcast is most people don't really understand what being a director, a program director, or a Woo! administrator is. They don't really know <laughs> what we go through. So it's just a I, part of this podcast job is just to create a showcase for a moment, just to say, this is for all of you who are doing this to know, we get it, and we. Well,
1: appreciate- thanks. I mean, thanks for doing that because, yes, I think particularly those of us who, in part, the leadership, in absolutely, hundred percent. If 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 folks are operating in a leadership role, I think that's part of it. But for me, I had done experienced many leadershipy gigs before. And it is a whole, you're 100% right. Like it's a whole other deal when it's something that you are like 100% responsible for, good, bad, and ugly. It's been such an interesting journey for me personally. And for the most part, well, all of it has been a gift. All of it has been a gift. For the most part, it's all been a delightful ride. And what I find really fascinating and something I think a lot about the more I do this work Is we talk about bringing it back to the beginning of the our conversation here, the idea of like emergent curriculum or nature and forest as third teacher. I find that the more I do this work, the more I live it in my life. If that makes sense, like my life just feels like I just don't almost fit in normal. <laughs> I just am living like the emergent life. I I don't. Am I making sense to you? Do you know what I'm saying? well it
0: doesn't really allow you to have a, a regular life anyway so you might as well enjoy it right that's what
1: that's you, true
0: you kind of have to just breathe and, yes yeah yeah when you're a small business owner entrepreneur Etc all of those things you oftentimes just you don't get your weekends off always. So you don't get always a lot of that extra time. So yeah. So you have to take it where you can. And then from there, hopefully you enjoy what you're doing. And if you don't, then you have to make those changes. And there's a big difference between running your program when you're running it and you're just doing the program and you're not actually providing a building or payroll or any of those things. There's, there are advantages and disadvantages to all of these things. And I think that's always really wonderful Absolutely. Now, because, yeah, it's some people always go, I want to do it my way. So I'm going to do it on my own. And then I think, well, that's good. But it also comes with the baggage of it's all on you, you're going to have to, you're gonna have to either have a good, be able to talk your friends into doing things for you, or find somebody who's a good partner or have staff that really step up. And those staff don't always stay for more than two or three years. And if they do, then that's great. And if they don't-
1: It's hard, you know, like- yes. And for me, so much of at least the first several years of Seoul was very much a process of just exactly the right people showing up and feeling just as lit up and just as enthused about it. I think that part of the, the struggle that we've gone through and some of the challenges have been moving from sort of contractor status to employee status and doing these things that we need to do to add structure to these beautiful programs that we all have and ideally to move it into the mainstream more yes. so that more children can access it and at the same time at least speaking from my very personal experience and soul's experience like that hasn't been an easy journey either you know what i mean mm-hmm. because there's a lot of work to still do mm-hmm. and it really does feel like like the job pretty much never ends so you know it's been a really good lesson for me in in listening to my own intuition and my own fuel tank, and being like, okay, what's worth me investing my energy in and not investing my energy in? How can I make this? more seamless or easier, yeah. how can we still make sure we are able to communicate? Like for new families, for instance, when there was a time where I was chasing people in the library yeah. or the supermarket, or a parent would call and I'd spend an hour and a half on the phone because I was so very pleased that someone was interested in the program. <laughs> it's would...
0: draining. It, it can be very draining and it's very difficult, I think. I started my program when I was 26 in 1989. I was running a summer camp. Luckily I had summer, Just I did it in the summer and then the rest of the year I did different programs, but I also worked. And the thing that I realized, again, the same thing, had a core group of staff that were awesome for five, four, five, six years. And then as those people disappear and new people arrive, which is a natural flow there, I started to realize I have to I have to create systems to ensure that the quality yes. of what I want in my program stays the same. And well, that's
1: exactly where I'm at. So it's really interesting that you're sharing this yeah. with me, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: And and it was really interesting. Uh, I know, I remember being out somewhere, this is like maybe 10 years ago. And we were, I was out driving with some of my staff and, and some of my friends who also run programs. And they said, oh, where should we go? And I said, "Well, why don't we go to Chipotle uh, to get Mexican food or whatever. And I said, I love Chipotle. And then the other person said something like, it's a franchise. Franchises are bad. It's a corporation. And I go, well, a corporation is just a larger business than what we normally have. And I said, but don't you understand that like, if you go to Chipotle in Albuquerque or you go to Chipotle in Baltimore or wherever you go, they have figured out the system to train people and to provide something that is consistently... Good. I'm, I'm not trying to sell Chipotle here. Actually, the last time right. I went, I, had a bad I quite anger. like Chipotle and I
1: have my own personal connection to Chipotle, but you yeah. just keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: No, but I was talking about it from that point of view of saying, as a business person, you right. don't understand how difficult that is to take people in off the street with an ever-never-ending flow of turnover of staff and however it works out, and to then still have the customer not see any drop in quality. And I said, obviously they don't always make it, but they do the best they can. And right. I just, you don't really understand how what how much work it is to think every single thing through so that this can be consistently good. And I, I would love to sit here and go, like, hey, tell me about tracking roadrunners or something. Well, what do you guys do about rattlesnakes or something? I'd love to talk about that, but like this it's part right here something. is really important that we don't yeah. talk about that much. So
1: I agree. I yeah. And we, what last year was a difficult year for multiple reasons. But one of the reasons is it was the first year in our soon to be six year age birthday. Oh. Uh, so the first year it was me and two other gals, we flip-flopped. And then in the second year, I brought someone on lovely, lovely Brie, if you listen to this, who yeah. basically ended up being our assistant director. And she was with us for the next five years. She's she has left to just go on to new adventures sure. whatever those might be soon so it was really she and i there was a lot of mentoring that went on with me with brie initially she was not early childhood trained this is one of the things that i think a lot about because forest school training specifically forest school training in the us there's not there there are program options where you don't have to have an early childhood background and i think it's one of those things that's really very, very awesome and delicious in many ways, because I have found as a founder and a director that I can spot talent pretty quickly just in in just in observing how somebody engages with a young child. I'm like, okay, this person's good. And what has really been a huge benefit as our program has grown is that ability to spot that talent and to try to shape that. And more often than not, the people that have come to Seoul, actually haven't had specifically early childhood training. So
0: formal like college training, is that what you mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, because I'm an advocate first and foremost for young children, the development of young children, their right to play, their right to a childhood, their right to a childhood habitat. And I find a lot of colleagues that I work with in the U.S. for a school-based world come from all different backgrounds. And I yeah. think that's really eclectic and awesome. And as I just shared, that means I can pluck someone. And be like, you are really, really good with kids. Come on in. We're gonna tr- we're gonna give you some training, some mentoring, and you're gonna be magic. And yeah. that has been the case. And I could say I also the flip side of that is sometimes notice when people aren't early childhood trained. One thing I've noticed quite a few times, because I don't come from an environmental education background in particular. Right. And I, you know, I want to say that that the great thing about nature-based education, Forest Educator, I like that you call it Forest Educator Podcast, is there's all ways, so many ways of doing it. And they're all equally important and they're going to serve a greater purpose and they're going to, kids are coming in from all different directions too. And where I was going with that thought is that in my experience with Soul a lot of people who come in with strong science backgrounds or environmental ed training, like they have a really hard time because they're used to being the person that is like disseminating the information, who yeah. is a bit more teacher centered. It's a bit more like, oh, yes, this is a pinyon tree. This is a juniper tree. And at least the way I practiced and was taught to practice the far school ethos, it's much more about wandering alongside children. So. Much of what's on the horizon right now for myself as well as Seoul, one of the key, probably three areas of likely program expansion, restructure. I don't know what it looks like yet. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like because I do actually have two other LLCs as well. One right. that's like educational consulting. So I do do some educational consulting with programs and the other one that kind of covers my Shinrin-Yoku Forest and Nature Therapy Guiding work. In terms of projects, one of the big ones that I'm involved in at the moment is there's an organization, I don't know if you've heard of it, called the Forest School Teachers Institute. Have you heard of them? I
0: I haven't heard of that, no.
1: I'll have to send you a link because Dr. Jean Momino is definitely a mover and a shaker in the world, and also a soul sister. I discovered her during the pandemic. She's down in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and she founded the Forest School Teacher Institute, I want to say, probably around the same time as Seoul, maybe six, eight years yeah. ago. And one of the things that Jean is currently looking at, because she is probably 20 years or so my my senior, still is spry and is. Like, just amazing. And of course, your podcast listeners don't know how old we are, but I'm 55. She's coming towards the end of her career and she's wanting to think about her legacy. So, yes. part of what she's doing is she has, she's hand selected a group of half a, half a dozen of us, far school educators across the country, we're spread out, who are um, going through a training process this next year. And then our programs um, will be become 50 training facilities. Right. So soul and or soul way mentoring, which is, uh, you know, my consulting will ideally within the next year become kind of a training facility regionally, which I'm really excited about because what I'm visioning right now is that our existing program continues. Absolutely. But maybe it doesn't expand and it doesn't it isn't where it was at, say, two years ago when we were, like, just busting at the seams and I could barely breathe and many of us could barely breathe because it could, if that's managed a little bit differently or maybe slightly smaller scale, then it would be an opportunity to bring this training program into play. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What ages does your your program work with primarily? With so soul? we
1: are primarily basically three to six we've been very traditionally an early childhood program we did start serving children up to the age of 10 and still do that is a smaller part of our program we operate 3 to 10 years i have done some tree tot classes with the idea of working with babies and parents that was met with really great success we did that last year that was a real just delightful positive wonderful thing last spring and There's been a lot of, there's been a lot of, I think overall changes to parenting styles. We've really moved towards the buzzword is attachment parenting, but I personally don't like to use that term because really do we want to be attached to our children? I like more the idea of attunement or like connection parenting. And this has been, I think it's been exasperated by the pandemic is there are more and more parents who do really struggle with dropping their kids off or wanting to be apart from them at all. I think there are a whole host of families out there who are, I know that there are a whole, whole host of families out there who are interested in our program, but they wouldn't be ready for a three-year-old to come or a four-year-old to come. And I used to struggle with this idea of how would you monetize it? Because obviously I have to pay myself for the time and energy to go into something like that. But where I'm at six years in with the program too, is realizing that this community we've built, like one of the things that our community are really our consumers, right? Our parents yeah. talk about is just how much soul and experience of forest school has positively impacted their parenting. It's that whole idea of like, yeah. it takes a village to raise a child. So. I think a lot of modern day American parents are like really lonely and they are trying their best to do their best and certainly the t- parenting trends have really moved in a much more positive direction as time has gone on and I think people are also craving community and you and I know when you get together in the natural in a natural space that cultural reparation happens that Restoration of our souls and that feeling of like just freedom sure. and awe and beauty, like it all comes back. But then also, if I could find a way to work even more more with the parents and put yeah. a lot of a lot more of my life force energy there, the way I'm thinking about it is a family might have, say, three children and maybe only one or two come to our program. But if one of them comes to that program and has that experience, and then that impacts their parenting and their family system moving forward, I'm seeing bigger ripples with that. I don't even know how you got me on that, but it's yeah, definitely wants to come through.
0: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's so many layers to uh, this kind of work because it's really, it's needed right now because our culture is really starving for connection, community, finding just a sense of hope and just being present and getting that healing aspect of nature all of these things come through
1: so what i have found is if i am in touch with myself and i'm really in a place where i'm centered and i'm practicing my own nature connectedness and i'm cultivating quietude and i can Mm -hmm. be in a place of like receiving and listening those are the things that come up and i'm going to drive this and put this momentum of this beautiful program that I wanna be really clear, is not at all just me anymore. There's been multiple beautiful humans who have come into the mix to to practice soulful outdoor learning and to bring this way more and more into the world in the, the most beautiful and soulful ways. And I am eternal, eternally grateful for every person that has come and worked with Soul and every family that's come along. And at least as it currently remains, if I am going to keep being the leader and uh, the person who is moving this forward, the queen bee, dare, dare I even say, that That has been such a hard process for me to just honor in myself that lots of people have called me. I've been, even before my far school work, folks use the term in my leadership style of being a benevolent ruler, a benevolent ruler. And really I am and just claiming that and not judging myself for wanting to have the final word or whatever it's it's such a journey being a leader that i don't i don't think people understand it unless they like you had said at one point unless they're in it that it's, no, it's really it's, yeah. the level of responsibility that comes with this so i feel like i'm just coming to that place of just honoring that at least for as long as i'm in soul and this is what i'm doing I like you said you can kindly decline that sounds like a great idea and if if you're feeling like you want to go for it I might have a little money on the side or I will support you in the best way I can or I might do something like that but yeah learning what the no's are as much as the yeses I started with what are my yeses but now it's being equally as clear with what the no's are
0: it's interesting because I I've Worked with a lot of people about business and thinking a lot as I went from being the director of my program to trying to think what is my next step in how Mm -hmm. I can have an impact on the field. And when I was trying to make those decisions, uh, a few different people have said that there's a real tendency sometimes for people who are entrepreneurs and leaders to start things, get excited do really well. And then when it gets a little rocky, like you're not filling your program or there's staff problems Mm -hmm. or whatever, they said that the tendency can be to then look for, oh, I'm going to start another program. I'm going to start another thing. I'm going to, I'm going to dive into another thing and then find that rush of like positive awesomeness. And they said that it really takes a a willingness to be like, it's an, there's an intimacy issue with it to where you have to, in a way, go back and say, all right, yeah. How do I get really close to whatever that thing is that's making me uncomfortable or that I'm worried right. about and, I, and really like lean into that and not and say, yeah, no, I'm not going to start jumping. I mean, it, it's that's true for like romantic relationships, too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people go, everything's great. And then as soon as there's one problem, they're like, OK, red flag, I'm out. And you're like, right, that's not that's <laughs> that's not going to be very helpful down the road. if You're going to do that. And so the high idea is always to then say how do you lean in and it's just it's brutally hard and ultimately you also then have to solve the problem too and there's and most of these problems that we have are problems that are being solved by businesses all the time so it's not like we're unique yeah, I actually
1: read somewhere because we are an LLC and there there has been this thought of do we become a 501c3 do we go the nonprofit route Do we do this? Do we do that? We have a fiscal sponsor now, which is really great. But I'm sometimes really crappy with remembering statistics. But I think that I read that in terms of small businesses, apparently only one in five that open actually last more than five years, which is kind of what you were saying. And I do think those of us and I was thinking of this earlier when you said something earlier in our conversation about how you use the word all consuming this work is. I have a dear friend who talks about her former husband how he used to tease her because she's she's a creatress, as gotcha. I think of myself as sort of a creative creatress in terms of this work that I'm doing in the world. Her husband, I guess, used to joke with her and say, I never know if you're like having an affair or if you're just like jumping into a new project. <laughs> because I do think those of us who do these, who are these pioneers and start these programs from scratch and all that kind of stuff, there is a like Wild West frontier gotcha of pioneering like spirit that comes through and i'm not gonna lie like i there's some kind of book out there where you take these little tests oh gosh i wish i could remember the name of it and it tells you like the top five strengths that you have i think it's called strength finders actually maybe and one of the things in my chart is like whim and woo and it's this idea of that new love like talking to a parent for the first time and really getting sure. into the importance of risky and adventurous play. I love that that moment when you start seeing people go, oh, I never thought about that before. I yeah. like that like that being in that place of yeah, just newness, being that bridge to something new. And I do think probably a lot of creative people are are built that way. And I'm reading a book for this four school teachers cohort that I'm a part of, this leadership cohort, Margaret Wheatley, you've probably heard of her, and it's leadership in the new science. And it's it's really interesting reading this because she really compares programs and program development and just organizational development. She really dips into the science and how so much of it is nature. And if you look at nature, we, I don't know, she I just read a whole thing about Darwinian science, and how we've been in this period of time for so long, where like we want to know the answers to things and we're following all these processes and we're planning and we're doing all of these things, and how that has obviously filtered out to all ways of being, including like organizational and program structure and this, that, and everything else. And she's actually coming in and saying, you know what? That's not the way programs work. It's not the way leadership works. It's not the way like any of this works. It's much more like quantum physics. And it's much more energetic and it's much more emergent and it's much more like paying attention to what is in front of you right now. It's not something that necessarily can be planned, planned, planned out, but of course we need the rooting too. So yeah, once again, just what you're speaking of, I'm just enjoying our conversation so far because I'm just mirroring so much of what you're saying. Was like, yeah, yeah. I, I feel you totally. Uh,
0: Totally. Yeah. It's interesting too, because from what i'm seeing on my side of the picture is that for i believe forest school and nature based education is going to have what i what we would might call a moment in yes. which it will which it will take a quantum leap and when it does i don't think i don't think we're all ready for that yet like we're not mentally ready and and understanding what that will actually look like and i believe that we have to think of like we, if we want to take advantage of that moment, we have to be forward-thinking and really look at like how all of these things—the systems, the leadership, the administration—everything has to be thought out. And in order to do that, we need funding to do it. So, Absolutely. we we Absolutely. really need funding to do these things to plan this because if I believe that most early childhood education systems in this country will be based in forest school in the next ten years in, a, in a terms of those leadership concepts and uh, the educational approach, the, the curriculum yeah. and uh, training. And that,
1: both, that both really exhilarates me and it freaks me out at the same time. Yeah. I'm a little bit worried about when it does hit the system, if, uh, if there aren't folks who, I'm gonna keep using my own words, aren't practicing this in this soulful way. And when I talk about that, I'm talking like whole child way. I'm talking about bringing the heart really back into education, bringing the whole child into the education system, because we've been too busy for too long educating up here in the head. We'll do a little bit in the body, maybe in the system and and people in the system, they're doing the best they can. It's a broken system. So I'm really excited. And at the same time, I'm like, oh. So what is interesting with all of this change that's happening with Seoul is last spring, we applied for a little grant, a local grant that is through a place called uh, Los Ranchos de Albuquerque. And it's in the North Valley of Albuquerque, where there's a lot of traditional agriculture and farming in particular, big, beautiful like lavender fields. And there's been a of a renaissance there. There's some cool sort of eco-tourism going on there. And there's some wealth there too. And this organization was offering grants to people who are working for stewardship. And Seoul won this little grant. So one of the exciting things that's happening this year, it's going to basically launch like next week, is I'm gonna be working with a very old elementary school, Alameda Elementary School that's in Albuquerque with some teachers. The two teachers that I'm working with, Melissa and Anita, they're like born and bred in Albuquerque, generations back in Albuquerque, really deep family roots in this place. And their school is literally right across the street from the Bosque in the Rio Grande. And a whole bunch of the children in that school very likely, because they're teaching um, K through first grade, have not really been to the Bosque except for maybe a picture op, or I don't want to say across the board that none of them have been there, but we know for sure that many of them haven't. So we're going to be launching a Wild Wednesdays program. and. I'm feeling excited because I feel like after six years of doing this work, I'm ready to come back and engage with the system and be an advocate. And I feel like right. I could speak to the fact that I've been doing forest school for nine years now with children across all of these abilities. And basically we gave out probably a hundred band-aids and we've pulled yeah. out numerous glockids from cacti. But aside from that, like knockwood, nobody's been hurt, nothing's sure. gone wrong we can do this, it produces great humans. So yeah. I'm really excited to start with them. And I also think from a system perspective, because we had applied for this giant grant where we were hoping that project would, would be a much bigger project with the Albuquerque Public Schools. So we have so much open space here. The APS system owns like a whole property here in the East mountains where all of the fifth graders come through. like, let's get all the kindergartners out. We didn't win that grant, but I think it's all for a reason because during the pandemic, I learned about a program in England called Children's Forest. And what the Children's Forest is, is it's basically a four, it's a program for primarily primary elementary age children beginning at kindergarten. And it is a forest school inspired program that takes children through a four-step process. They have a full immersion forest school experience in the woodland, and that's called experience. So it's an embodiment experience where they're playing coyote mentoring games, nature connection games. They're maybe, I don't know, cooking something over a fire. They're climbing trees. They're just being kids out in the woodland. So that's the first stage. The second stage is then there's an imagining stage because with children's forest, they recognize, and this gets to that soulful piece for me again, that we underestimate the power of the human imagination. We just do. We underestimate. So there's painting, there's music, there's singing, there's dancing, there's poem writing. The children write their own poems, and it's all geared at reimagining like a green future and reimagining you as a child. And when you have children, where will they go and play? What woodland will they be able to go to? And this idea sure. of the seven generations. So they take them through that process. And then the third stage is literally planting trees. And then the fourth stage is tending. They have several opportunities where they come back and they take care of this forest that they're growing. And they have continued woodland play and group play, outdoor play. And then they also spend time in the seed-to-tree nursery where they're growing the baby trees that will once be planted again. So what, besides all of that, which I just, I, to me, it's just like this whole next level of offering because it's all the soulfulness of really, you know, the magic that happens when you bring children and nature together. And then this, you know, and we're growing stewards, yes, but then it's this whole next level of climate change, mitigation, and cultural reparation, and just the positivity of imagining a future that is greener, that is brighter, all of these things. So this all comes together basically in a package of about six days per the school year. Right. And in my far school training, what I had learned, I don't know who said this, but I learned a definition of forest school as being at least six visits to the same place over the course of time so that you're seeing that same place, just like me as a young girl in my backyard in New Jersey, got to know every little corner. You're really developing a very specific relationship with that rock or that tree or what have you. What's interesting, because an Albuquerque mayor recently, within the last year, has been promoting this program of 100,000 trees by 20, apparently he wants to plant 100,000 trees in the city of Albuquerque by 2030, one for each child in Albuquerque. There's all kinds of potential partners popping up, but nothing's clear yet. And this Alameda Elementary School has a massive open field at the back of their school that they want to do something with. But yeah, so I'm in that space of like, how can I use my life force energy to bring children's forest to the U.S.? to Through Seoul, just have this reinvention of sorts, or maybe not a reinvention, maybe it's a, it's a both and, and bring this into being so that's where my that's really where my heart my passion is right now
0: that's really beautiful yeah it's really nice to hear about just the nuances of your work and the the willingness you have to dream big and to also collaborate and to be inspired by all these places. I feel the same way when I start looking at all the different cool resources and all the different books that are coming out and curriculum guides. And I feel like we're really going to be in good hands and that we're pioneering. Like I said, we're pioneering the next phase of education that if our humanity have a future, it's going to start with this (laughs) younger generation. And then at the same time, forest school is going to have to expand because there's going to be first, second, third, fifth, seventh. And we have to be ready for that. And that's the one area that I see that it's where that'll be a little bit more challenging, but I think it'll be good as well. So I don't know. I'm very hopeful. I'm super excited to hear about all this. I hope I could come and visit your place someday. Oh,
1: please. Yeah. No, I'm an optimist too. I think if we spend too much time watching the news and reading I I think in a certain sense, I am operating from an advantage by not coming from a science background or an environmental ed background because it's easier for me to, I know about all of the horrors that are going on a hundred percent. I totally do. And I guess I'm very consciously choosing to be in that imaginal space and just to be like, to choose positivity. And I do find this work that we do to be really affirming in that way because there are so many people doing so many amazing things. Right. And again, that Margaret Wheatley book that I'm talking about, and just thinking about how science works, one end, if you think of a spider web, right? If you pull one end of that web, it's gonna affect another end of the web. And I just think over over time, there is gonna be a positive tipping point. That's at least what I'm choosing to believe. And I'm glad right. to be in the mix and working in this way for for Mother Earth and consciously trying to help, trying to serve yeah. as a a bridge for people to remember that we ultimately we are nature. And I just heard you say a minute ago, if we as humans are going to continue on this planet, that's ultimately what it comes down to, right? It's really a choice. It's not so much about us, quote, saving the world. But it's really about us realizing that if we want to keep being here, we need to start being in a different way. We need to yeah. start living different way it brings me great hope to just see the people who are out there doing this work they're definitely my you definitely my tribe without a doubt
0: well our tribe is growing and and there's just a for that same feelings you have where suddenly something's coming through you there's a lot of other people Mm -hmm. having those same experiences and it's a joy to hear you talk about that and I'm just really excited. So I should have all of your links to your school and other things. I'm not sure. I'll
1: make sure I'll follow up and make sure that you have all of those. And yeah, thank you so much for the time again. And I just want to, I don't know if this is a common phrase. I think I mentioned it earlier. It's something, a phrase I learned when I was doing the Shinran Yoku training is this idea of earth dreaming. And I love that image. So I I love that earth is dreaming through you and I love that earth is dreaming through so many of us. And I, with your podcast, like, thanks, thanks for stepping in and offering this type of a podcast. I think that I certainly know when I was doing that ultimate search, when I first got pulled in across the screen, there wasn't a lot out there and now, yeah, and now we're in a much different place. So. I yeah. am very certain that what you're putting out there too into the the world, Ricardo, that somebody's going to listen and they're going to have an aha moment and that's going to help earth dream through them too. So that's right. thanks so much for this time. I'm grateful. And yeah, maybe we'll meet someday. I hope
0: so. Well, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Till then. Be well.
0: Yeah. Same to you. Be well. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my Forest Educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.